Welcome back to another episode of the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Polk, riding solo tonight. Blair will be back with us on the next episode. He couldn't be here tonight, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that later. If you've been around this industry more than about five minutes, you've heard a lot about a driver shortage. And I decided to bring my best friend in the world on tonight to tell you about his experience in trucking and what the industry has done for him. It's done a lot for me. It's helped a lot of people. And yes, it can be difficult and it can be hard. And, you know, we we face a lot of struggles that a lot of people outside the industry just can't understand because they haven't driven a mile in our shoes. But I wanted Zeke to come on and tell you a little bit of his story. It's a story of redemption, of rebuilding, of, of how to kind of pick yourself up after you've basically been completely on the bottom, which is, you know, a lot like my story. Um, but he did it as a company driver and he's still a company driver. And I think there's some important lessons that we can learn from his story and a lot of other stories like his, that there are opportunities that this industry provides that you really can't get anywhere else. And I think sometimes it's important to highlight that even among all the troubles that we have, uh, where we get frustrated and we get upset and we don't feel appreciated and we don't feel understood. But there's a lot of really good stuff that happens in this industry. And sometimes I think we should stop and kind of reflect on that. So here's my conversation with my best friend, Zeke, and I'll be back at the end when we're done talking. All right, Zeke, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back. So um, you're having to pinch hit here a little bit because I, I had plans on doing an episode with Larry, but he left his microphone at home. So <laughs> now we get to talk about him if necessary. Yeah. Um, and if anybody wants to send him an email and give him a hard time, say, hey, dummy, put the microphone in the truck. That's Larry at BlueRibbonLogistics.com. There you go. But I figured it would be cool to bring Zeke on because if, if you've listened to other episodes of the show, you've heard Zeke before. He's done some episodes with me back in the day. But he's got a pretty interesting story, I think, to tell, somewhat like my own, just having to work with the circumstances you're dealing with. And what started me down this path was a... Um, an article from Freight Waves that Craig Fuller wrote. Uh, I guess it came out yesterday. I, I have said a lot of these very things, and I'll, I'll hit a couple of spots here in the article. The industry driver shortage narrative is helping to destroy the truckload market's economics by attracting more drivers and fleets to our industry. It plays well in truck driving schools and recruiting ads, but it creates more danger than good. By attracting more drivers and fleets into our industry, we are creating more capacity at a time when the market needs less of it. A market can have a capacity shortage in which the market doesn't have enough trucks available for dispatch in a moment in time. That is a market problem. Trucking companies can have unseated trucks i.e. not enough drivers to drive the trucks that the carrier owns, which is a driver shortage. But that is the carrier's problem, not the market's problem. There are plenty of carriers that have unseated trucks, and it can bankrupt them if it comes perpetual. So I think this starting off is a, an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I have 100 trucks and I don't have enough drivers, I have a problem. Right, right. But the rest of the industry is not responsible for my problem. But when we have too many trucks in the country and in the market, that creates a big problem. So the first 80% of the article is great. He gets into this part in the end about, you know, the industry will be served better with fewer drivers and who could make this happen, the federal government. He oh, starts yeah, talking about, scary. yeah, and I mean, Craig's kind of a libertarian guy. I don't, I don't know what mm-hmm. he's smoking here. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's 
good he doesn't have any hair, so he don't have to take a hair test. According to the <laughs> Trucking Alliance, as many as 300,000 of all truck drivers on the road would currently fail a hair test, which I guess is probably true. But, you know, as I'm someone now that is in the position to find and hire drivers, in my personal life experience, I can tell you there's a lot of people that can probably not pass a drug test that I would like to have driving my truck and a bunch of morons running around that can pass a drug test and i don't i don't want them anywhere near my truck so what got me thinking on this path was what really works when it comes to success in this industry and you can measure success a bunch of different ways you can measure success uh, longevity you can measure it with uh, the amount of money you make you can measure it by your safety record there's lots of different ways to measure what you could call a successful career given my problems that that i created on my own and drug you into by putting you on my (laughs) truck as a Uh co-driver and thought hey you know i've been really stupid by myself let me put somebody on my truck and amplify the stupidity (laughs) um and it didn't work for either one of us so i want to go back this would be late 2016 yeah you made the decision to get out of my truck for personal reasons i think i think we worked well as a team i think we enjoyed it yeah. and had a good oh, time yeah. but you had to get out and so you end up working for another bco for a short mm-hmm. period of time and then things kind of come off the rails so give me a little snapshot of say what it was october to december ish of 2016 yeah. i went i think 10 weeks without a paycheck God mighty. maybe nine but it was definitely over two months and um, I managed to get back on the road, got an opportunity to run a dedicated run for this BCO in Colorado, hauling sand for the, the oil fracking companies. Yeah. Potentially really good money uh, on percentage. I go out there right after Thanksgiving, show up, and it's just getting really cold, and it's starting to snow here and there, and uh, I'm in a truck that doesn't have any heat in the bunk. It's only got heat in the cab oh uh, anyway i was there about another eight or ten weeks and by uh january uh, last week of december i think on january 6th i showed up in orientation for swift so uh, you know like january 1st or december 31st yeah uh, a guy showed up at my truck and and opened the door and pulled the key out of the out of the truck to uh retake it back away from me right which is kind of funny since it wasn't a lease deal. I was just a company driver for this guy, right? And, and you had le- you had some legitimate problems with the truck, and he w- he couldn't he couldn't fix him. I mean, we right. I don't think either one of us really has any ill. No, I don't view of the guy. He just no, just a bad. It was just situation. one of them situations, uh, a little bit like our situation where we were both kind of in over our heads, and yeah. um, and I felt like it was unsafe to drive it the way it was. He wasn't able to get it fixed right away, and I needed the. I wanted to sit in it for the weekend and at least stay warm while it was fifteen below zero outside. Right. And um, he had other ideas, and we parted ways, and it's fine. So you ended up wanting a motel for a couple couple yep, nights. Went to a motel for two nights on my own, and then uh, you know while I was at the hotel, I called Schneider and I called Swift, and I know I called someone else, but I don't remember. Schneider's the yeah. only one that really bit. Strange as it sounds, I mean, this is really common in this industry, but but as for some reason, Schneider would not get me a bus ticket 
from Denver to a Schneider terminal. Which is just weird. I was a seven-year seven year driver. Yeah. Seven years experience, and they wouldn't get me a bus ticket from Colorado to, to, to anywhere. What were they, like, did they give you any alternatives or just like, well, get here or don't get here? Get to get to Kentucky, and they would get me a bus ticket from my hometown to Indianapolis or to <laughs> okay. like Nashville or somewhere. Yeah. Right. Which made no sense at all, but. Right. Um, that's what they offered, and, and they they had some weird policies that they were trying to get me to agree to ahead of time. One of them was a no talking on the cell phone, even with Bluetooth policy, and I kind of balked at that, and the guy yeah. got really weird with me and was like, well, dude, if you're not going to agree to that, just, just tell me now, and we'll just end the whole uh, interview process. Yeah. Anyway, I called Swift, and they were very, very accommodating and had a terminal an hour away. Uh, put me in a motel, got me, you know, an hour ride bus ticket for free. They got me a bus ticket for an hour ride to Denver. Really nice hotel. And um, four, five days later, I was in a truck. Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of fascinating that, that this exists where, I mean, you're you're basically homeless. Homeless. And jobless. I was just going to say that. You know, yeah. you're homeless and jobless, and you're able to pick up the phone yeah. and – somebody's like yeah okay here we'll come and get you we will we'll we'll put you up we'll get you out of the cold they fed me a couple of meals yeah and within a matter of of a few days you're you're in a truck you're making money you're warm you're safe and i think this industry just doesn't get enough credit for that sometimes right yeah they've got a sliding scale there so as a seven-year driver they were paying me about 43 and a half cents a mile i think yeah Guys that were starting out were were in the 30s, mid mid to upper 30s, I think. But either way you slice it, either one of us, the new guy or, or me, could get out, uh, run relatively easy freight, a lot of drop and hook. They had 80,000 trailers. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Lots and lots and lots of drop and hook. They, I mean, the orientation, they're like, uh, we have trailers. We just, we don't know where they are. There's thousands of them. We don't even know where some of these trailers are. I love that line. Um, you know, and they're like, well, yeah, if you find one here, we'll give you a hundred bucks if you find one of these trailers. But, uh, anyway, it, <laughs> you can almost make a living just driving around looking for sweet yeah. trailers that they've yeah. lost. But I made, uh, I mean, uh, close to a thousand a week while I was running. Yeah. You know, take home money or, uh, no, not, uh, gross money. So, this is what January of yeah, yeah. seventeen. Yep. And so now you have a job and you're able to start kind of piecing your life back together, right? Um yep. and we're, obviously we're in constant communication because we talk every day. You know, and I'm at this time, you know, I'm 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 just like two months away from my final engine failure, you know, so we're kinda walking mm. through all this stuff together. So how long do you stay at Swift? Ten months. Ten months. Yeah. Yeah, I started the 1st of November at uh, KAG. So now you are and have been now driving a tanker, hauling gasoline, home every day. Now, how did that that opportunity come about from being a Swift driver to a tanker yanker? Right. Well, so the circumstances, I don't know if they changed. They just developed more. So I spent the, the 10 months at Swift working three weeks out, three days off, three weeks out and three days off. And that worked for what I had at the time, but it wasn't going to work long term uh, as a dad, as a right. single dad. 
Yeah. And so I started fishing around. I think I'd started to just Google search tanker jobs. And because of the uh, big brother that we have with, with Facebook, um, <laughs> I got an ad yeah. for uh, KAG. The Keenan Advantage Group has something like 10,000 trucks. They're kind of the swift of the tanker industry. They, they train a lot of people, train a lot of drivers. So I, I saw this ad and I filled out this really, really short preliminary application. And I got a call from the supervisor in my area. And he asked me a handful of questions. And he's like, well, look, I want to interview you. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I don't really have time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't. Right. I was in and out. I was in and out. I had three days off and just didn't have time. And so he's, he called me a couple of times over the next couple of weeks, a couple of months, that is. And um, finally, it worked out. Um, I could be home. And I met him at a Golden Corral somewhere. And, you know, he basically just had to get an eyeball on me, really, is all he needed to do. And he said, well, you got the job if you want it. And he's telling me all about it. And, oh, we really take care of our drivers and you're home every day and you get paid for everything. Um, You know, a problem happens, a breakdown, um, you're held up. You get paid paid for everything. And that's true, right? It is true. Yeah. It is true. Okay. You get paid for everything. I mean, it's still paid by the load. But by all general measures, you make good money. You you make what people would call good money, right? Yeah. It's, no, and and I beat what I made at Swift as a seven year driver at the seven year tier. Yeah. At Swift, uh, I beat that I think by ten thousand dollars the first year pulling the tanker. It it was good. I was home. Like I said home every day. I've got a kind of a unique schedule because I work weekends: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then yeah. you know, three days off. But they they pay a premium for the weekends, you know, for my situation and the kids, you know, it it worked out for me a lot better. So so let's go back to Swift for a minute. So 10 months at Swift. I was there about 30 days. (laughs) Couldn't couldn't last, huh, Chris? Well, yeah. Well, I had so much stupidity going on in my life that, that, you know, I digress. But you were able to, you know, survive and, and thrive. You... You were able to, to, to make pretty good money. I guess what I want you to talk a little bit about is, is being in a giant company like that and how you built relationships with the driver manager, fleet manager, whatever fancy name they have for them. What and did they call those? Driver leader? Is that what they call them? No, they had some other goofy name. They all have a different damn name. You, you were able to get what you needed to get. You know, especially when it came to having to be home for your, you know, time with the kids, you probably would have had about the same experience had you gone to Snyder. You know, you there's a way to make money at these big companies, and I don't think even they do a good job of teaching drivers what they need to know about how to do that, how to play the computer, how to get the load planners keeping you loaded by the information that you give so it's communication relationships the things that will eventually make you as successful as an owner operator if you can't figure that out working for swift or schneider or jb hunt communication trip planning and relationships you'll never make it as an owner operator you know and i i really wish these large companies would kind of make that part of their curriculum but they kind of don't so i guess you know just kind of take your mind back to your experience in that 10 months and how you navigated that uh, as a company driver. Yeah. So 
my situation was a little bit more unique because I started in a terminal that was not going to be my home terminal. Oh, yeah. I've, I've had other jobs where as soon as I got hired and as soon as I got the name of the, d- the driver leader or the fleet manager, I walked over there and said hi and right. introduced myself and uh, asked questions and, oh, do you have a family? Oh, um, I live here. Um, you know, what do you think about this? Or what kind of freight? Or, you know, uh, how do you communicate? Do you communicate mainly by phone or is it Qualcomm message or is it email? You know, five, five, those are the questions to ask. Uh, Swift was a little different. I started in Denver, but my home terminal was in Memphis. And so got to Memphis. Uh, well, I, I obviously got the phone number and I started talking to the driver leader and uh, got to know her a little bit and told her my situation a little bit and told her what I needed for home time. You know, I was up front. Yeah. I told her what I needed for home time and, and how that needed to work. Um, and I told her, well, you know, I'm okay with the Northeast or, um, just please don't send me on the Island. You know, it's just little things right. like that. You know, just, you let them know what you can and can't do because everybody's situation is different. And I asked her, you know, how do you communicate? Do you communicate with email? She didn't do email. I was used to having a, a fleet manager that, that did almost strictly email. Yeah. I like she email. said, oh, just pick up the phone and call. Well, you know what's amazing about Swift, Swift that shocked me was when you pick up the phone and call, they answer. Yeah. Um, they don't have that many people on their board, evidently. Right. So when you do call, you get through most of the time. Yeah. That's just the way it went. So when I needed something, I picked up the phone and called. She obviously didn't pick loads, usually. I mean, she could go to the to the freight um whatever they're called, the freight people, and ask for something specific. But for the most part, I just looked what was on the Qualcomm and, and, and ran it, you know. Yeah. And if I had an issue, I picked up the phone and called her and said, hey, I've got this issue. I'm not going to make it or I'm going to be late or whatever, you know. Just communicated as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've got such a, a large – Larry was talking about something this on, on the, the first podcast the other day that he did – about a load in, um, I forget the name of the city in Kansas. Oh, but, yeah, that he did with the terminal where the the, yeah. the, the customer wasn't open or whatever. And, and Yeah. Yeah, so we the, we had a lot of that at Swift, you know, where yeah. they just pre-plan your load and, oh, just take it to that terminal. We'll get you something else. You know, this isn't that good a load. Just go pick it up. We'll take it to a terminal and someone else will run it. Yeah. You know, so if you communicated with them and, and we're, we're low-key with them and not, not rude, you know, you do whatever you want to do. Um, it worked out just fine. Right. I didn't really have any complaints at Swift. So now you've been hauling gas, what, two years, two and a half? It'll be it'll be two years in November. It's it's hard to ask this question because, you know, once you have kids and, and a home life, what would your recommendation be for, you know, say a, a, a company driver that's single, maybe? Um and is looking at, you know, wanting to be home more or have a, um, a, a life of doing gas, you know, this kind of work. Cause I hate it. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I never realized until I started working for air gas how much I hated driving to work. It sucks. Oh yeah. You know, I got, I got pretty lucky. The, the town, the city I live in is not a very large city and it takes me literally 10 minutes to get to work. Yeah. That'd probably um, be okay. It did take some getting used to to to, le- to to 
commute to work and no longer have one, basically two homes, a home in your truck and a home at home. Yeah. And basically camp out for two weeks in your truck. Now I'm camping out of my truck for 12 hours and I've got to bring just enough. There's no microwave. There's no bed. There's no. That bed's hard to get away from, man. I, I Yeah. So that takes a little bit to get used to. But once you once you have that home every day kind of thing, well, now you can develop the relationships with your neighbors and your friends and your family. Um, yeah. You know, you go to the barbershop the same time every other week and, and, you know, you just, you start to build some stuff at home and you sort of get back into that old routine of going to work and, and coming home. Yeah. I'd recommend anybody that, that, that wants to be home on a regular basis, give these guys a call. There's, they're everywhere. They're, they're all dying for drivers. Uh, good ones. Yeah. Some of them have lease purchase and owner oper- operator type deals. Um, you just got to talk to them and see what's available. Um, training, I think, was about six weeks. They paid 150 bucks a day. I think for training, you just you ride around with a with another driver, and um, they show you the ropes. You know, they you just go to stores and drop gas. I'm sure somebody's wondering or asking the question. What about the the danger level? You know, you're, you're hauling around gasoline and you know explosive, flammable stuff. Do, do you do you think about that? Did you consider it going in of an of an increased danger level with this kind of work versus pulling a box? I did think about it uh, going in. Uh, well, hauling liquid was different too. Uh, it's not nearly as as wobbly as I thought it would be. I've, I've hauled. Uh, one of those those plastic totes. totes. I've hauled that stuff, and it would make me nauseous. And this hauling gas for some reason doesn't even get that bad. Hmm. But you know, it is gasoline, and you do have to be careful. But the way it's set up, there are procedures. When you go to a, a rack to load, the first thing you do is connect a ground cord, and the system won't let you do anything until you do that. So. It's relatively safe there. Um, when you're delivering, um, you're already grounded because your hoses are hooked to the ground. So it's you know it's relatively safe. Just don't be stupid. Don't don't light a cigarette <laughs> and don't right. uh, don't bring a lighter to work. You know, just leave your lighters at home. Um, you know, don't do anything stupid. It is more dangerous. I've smashed fingers and um, busted my elbow a couple of times. You know. But that's stuff you can do pulling a box, you know. You can, yeah. It, um, I think there, there is definitely more work than just pulling a box, but we are talking about coming off the road. The only reason to do it, in my opinion, would be to come off the road and, and have more home time. Yeah. And, and it is. It, it really is perfect. You know, it's a simple job. You know what you're doing pretty much every day. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty good money. I think, you know, it's such a different perspective now being in, in this position that I am now where, where I'm interviewing drivers and managing drivers and booking loads. Now, when I think about driver shortages or when I think about the turnover in the industry and I hear drivers telling their stories uh, at the truck stop countertop or, where you know, wherever, 
I just, I, I guess I'm a little jaded and I can start to see the other side of it now because there's 3 million drivers in this mm-hmm. industry and I, I just need like 10 of them. And you, you wouldn't think if, if someone says, listen, I need to hire 10 people. My pool to pull from is about 3 million. And wow, it's hard because. Mm-hmm. There's some very, very simple concepts that either A, they legitimately don't possess. Nobody's ever taught them trip planning or work ethic or basic fundamental principles of life. Or they just don't care, you know. And this industry is, it can be tough. What's that thing said? Life's hard and it's harder if you're stupid. <laughs> I, That's one I, of my favorites. I, yeah, I've just I've I found that you know some drivers have really really unreasonable expectations for one, but at the same time, they will agree to some just really really unbelievably dumb, not even contracts. That that I think Larry and I were talking t- today about seeing a story of a. You know, a, of a driver has a wreck, something happens, and he says, oh, well, my dispatcher forced me to take stimulants, you know, to stay away. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, buddy, they didn't shove them down your throat, you know. Hmm. And I wasn't all that sharp when I started driving, but I do remember being a few months in and a guy, you know, I don't remember, I don't, I don't know what happened. I just said, hey, man, I, I'm going to be late. Well, that load's got to be there. Hey, buddy, it ain't going to get there before I do unless I go through the gate backwards. Okay. So I don't, I, you know, fire me. Mm-hmm. And I can understand if you think, well, I have to do what they tell me to do or they'll fire me. But this is trucking. You'll have another job tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you don't kill anybody, as long as you don't have a wreck, you've got a job if you've got a license. So it's hard for me to understand people that are coerced, but but then I I meet drivers and I'm like you know I completely understand why you you got coerced because you're you're just not that bright. <laughs> uh, but it's you know I think as hard as it can be, I I think that we have to recognize that just like your story and even some of my own. I mean, my truck blows up. I go to Swift. I mean, dude, I, I had a job in like seven days. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yep. my 10 days, my truck quit on the 7th and on the 17th, I started orientation, you know, and I probably could have been there faster. And so, yeah, and there's definitely something to be said for the fact that you can just show up, they'll hand you the keys to a truck, you go pile in it and take and off the computer with the magic bar, buddy of mine over here. He calls it the magic box. I just do whatever the magic box says to do. I mean, it's literally all you do. It is. You turn it on. It tells you, to, dude, it will even tell you if you work for one of these big companies, it will even tell you where to get fuel. Yeah. Swift set up trip plans. It would tell you which highways to take, how long, it, like when to take your break. Because if you start here and you get there and you start here and you get there and, and, and lo and behold, you're there on time. And, and when you got a good fleet manager, they'll start stacking up loads for you um that's always nice knowing what you're doing after what you're doing next right but uh, it's so simple 
you just show up and start driving around. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, especially given I, when I started in '97, the good old days were all but dead. But there was little mm-hmm. there was little glimpses of it left, and I cannot imagine. I saw the other day. You may have seen this. Somebody posted because you're still in a couple of Landstar groups. Somebody yeah. posted a little book from back in the day, and I'm like, and I'm talking about like not not very far, like ten years. This book because they used to have pagers, right? Mm-hmm. And so you had this little phone book of agents because there was no Landstar online. There mm. didn't happen, you know. So you had a you had a book of agents and you had a pager and. You had to use like fax machines and email to get your loads. And how people in 2019 can look back and say, we just need to get back to the good old days of trucking. Y'all have lost your ever loving (laughs) minds. Okay. Fax machines and pagers. Are you freaking kidding me? Hell no. Absolutely not. There is no way in hell I would. Drive one of these trucks with no cell phone and no iPad and no email and no text messaging and no GPS mm-hmm. satellite track. God Almighty! It they've <laughs> lost their they've lost their freaking mind. And and I don't know. May, maybe maybe that's part of it because it has gotten so easy that that makes it more apt for you know drivers to not to not take the initiative to understand what's more happening outside of their truck. They look at the magic box. The box says right. drive, I drive. The box says stop, I stop. <laughs> the box says get fuel, I get fuel, right? So may, uh-huh. maybe that, that yeah. is part of it. It can kind of dumb us down. But I, I made a I made a post the other day about uh, another one of these trucking companies run by a private equity firm had crashed and burned. And I want to look more into that and figure out, why. number one, why are these private equity firms over the last four or five years buying up trucking companies and running them into the ground yeah um but i've said look if you drive for a trucking company that's owned by a private equity firm find a new job yesterday because they're going <laughs> down they don't they're not in trucking to truck they're in it to you know turn some kind of turn and burn some kind of profit and when the company gets in trouble well they're out mm-hmm. they're just going to bail and sell off all the assets, and then you're going to be standing there with an empty fuel card and no money. But that takes some initiative to get outside your box and and learn about your industry and, and learn about the trends. And whether you want to be an owner-operator or not, it, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to buy trucks and own a fleet to understand the basics of your, of your industry, right? Right, right, definitely. Yeah, that that's a basic awareness that I wish we we would embrace more as individuals. I think you and I have maybe kinda... maybe one of the tricks here that you and I do that a lot of drivers don't is we don't just talk to drivers, right? You know, at at ATS you had Jay and you had some other people. At Swift, I you know I had my fleet driver leader. It seems like there was somebody else, the safety guy or somebody over there I talked to, some yeah. of the trainers. Um, then there's people in the shop that you try and get to know. There, you know, there's there's just different areas and by pulling uh information from different people, you kind of limit that uh risk of getting a whole bunch of crap. Yeah. 
and and just truck driver stories. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, I, and it's funny. I I I have these little glimpse memories that of people that I have met along the way that have other drivers. You know, that just introduced me. I remember the first time I ever heard somebody talk about a four hundred one k. I'm like a four hundred one what. You know, but it was just another driver at U.S. Express. He's like, well, have you heard of a 401k? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Is it like a band? You know, is this like a, <laughs> a new techno band? He's like, no, dummy. It's a financial instrument. And I'm thinking, oh, well, hey, that you said music. You know, uh, obviously you and I and, and, the, and the closeness of our friendship, we have we've walked through a lot of stuff together and and we've become interested in economics, you know, and uh, uh, Austrian, the Austrian school of economics. Go look that one up, uh, everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's about fundamentals and principles. And it's not about, you know, being on a certain team, finding our identity, even in our jobs. You know, yeah, yeah, I drive a truck, but I'm not necessarily a truck driver, you know. And I think that personal development comes in kind of an eagerness to learn and and you can't force that you you had that's a choice you have to make so if you're listening to this right now and you're new to the industry or you've been here 10 years you know reach out to us send us an email and ask us some questions it's hard for us to really answer some stuff that we don't know specifically i mean we can just tell you what we walked through you know zeke and i have both made some good decisions and a bunch of dumb ones and we've walked through it <laughs> And fortunately, we've been there for each other, which has been huge. I don't, I don't know how either one of us could have got through some of the crap that we've dealt with yeah. over the last few yeah. years without the other one. But it's, you know, it's just a big part of life of of will, being willing to ask questions, you know, and yeah. willing to question uh, what you've always been told, you know, because I certainly don't believe a lot of the things that I used to just 10 years ago. And my Facebook memories will back that up, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that'll embarrass you in a minute. I just I wanted to bring Zeke on here to kind of tell this story about the positive aspects of what this, this industry can do and does do for a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of people riding around in trucks right now that would be homeless pushing a grocery cart, you know, yeah. if not for this yeah. industry. Beyond that, there's personal development that has to take place to grow you through that, whether you're at Swift or Schneider or, or Landstar or Mercer or whoever. Um, and that and that personal development revolves around a willingness to learn, a willingness to communicate, learn how new ways to communicate, understand the industry around you, you know, be willing to ask questions. And, and have a work ethic, you know, and understand that you are there to serve. You are not there to be served. And I think that's probably hmm. the biggest piece that's missing for a lot of drivers is is they think the axis of the universe runs to the top of their head. And they're just so unfortunately wrong. They're passionately <laughs> wrong uh, yeah. about that. So, well, brother, I appreciate you coming on here and uh, filling yeah, in the gaps. And uh, we'll have you back on here sometime soon and uh, and do it again. All right, man. Take it easy. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was uh, fun for us to do, to sit down and catch up. Uh, Larry will be back on our next episode. We've got a subject uh, lined up that I think you're going to find interesting and entertaining. If you like the show, remember to give us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, Share. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family, other drivers, people that you might think uh, might be interested in it. Uh, Send us an email. 
Chris at blueribbonlogistics.com, Larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. Find us on Facebook at An American Truck Driver and at Blue Ribbon Logistics. And remember, we have a hotline, 413-24-TRUCK, 413-248-7825. Leave us a voicemail or send us a text message, and we will see you next time. 